Well, I'm so excited to once again get a moment of your time, time Ron, Ron Rice. I know you're probably busy these days because uh, at the National Alliance Public Charter Schools, you guys follow this more closely than most people. But the, this information seems to be like trickling out that um, the, the major federal program that helps charter schools get started is under attack right now by the Biden administration. And I mean, a lot of folks are like, what can we do about this out in the states in Missouri? You know, I got to fight to just get the charter school law fixed in Missouri. And then if you and if you and so I want you to tell me like um, what's going on with that. And also real quickly, I think when people hear charter school program, I think they think of like the program that allows charter schools or the law that allows charter schools rather than this very specific government federal grant program. So what is the CSP and what's happening to it? Yeah, so thanks for the opportunity, Susan. It's always a pleasure. So the CSP, the Charter Schools Program, is uh, is the only federal line item funding for the creation of new charter schools and a replication of existing, uh, replication and expansion of existing high quality, high performing charter schools uh, at the federal level. It is less than 1% of the federal budget, but it was signed into law by President Bill Clinton. It's been supported by every administration, Democrat or Republican, um, and indeed uh, signed to law by President Clinton, and then the, and indeed the greatest increase in CSP funding happening under President Barack Obama. And so it's always enjoyed bipartisan support. This is sort of the first time any administration, Democrat or Republican, has really hoisted really weird regs on, on the program. And it's 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 usually Wait, not- what is the funding for the program last year? What was appropriated? So it was appropriated at, at four hundred and and forty million dollars. Um, the president, to his credit, President Biden did propose four hundred forty million dollars in his budget. Uh, and we had to do a fight uh, with the House about their version. They cut it by 40 uh, uh, billion, uh, 40 million. Sorry, wish it was a billion, 40 million dollars <laughs> in there. Uh huh. And they're bill. <clears throat> But that money was restored in the Senate uh, and, and some anti-char language which was taken out uh, that the House had put into the bill as well. Uh, and so uh, the president this year has proposed $440 million for it. But um, in, in a vacuum, it sounds like, OK, that we're level funded, but we're also being level funded in, in years now where IDEA has gotten plus up exponentially, where there's extra uh, the, the funding for students with disabilities. Right, idea, right, and 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 Title One. You live in federal government world out there in DC, Ron. I know. I keep forgetting. Everyone and, lives in this world. It's true. <laughs> so, so all federal programming, like federal, federal funding for most of the things that most schools benefit from, got plus up. And then you add in the the rescue plan stuff, extra dollars. You know, schools are flush with dollars right now, and so it just seems kind of weird to even keep us uh, level funded at this point. We actually should be increased, like the rest of those schools, uh, those other programs are. Because our kids disproportionately, our schools disproportionately serve, uh, you know, the free reduced reduce price lunch kids, kids in urban communities and communities that yeah. have been long, you know, ignored. So, you know, it's a constant. And, and not to mention that uh, when the schools closed during the pandemic and parents started to get upset, uh, parents left traditional public schools and many, many of them went down the street to a charter school. That's right. That's right. We, we charter schools have... across the board pivoted better. Had yeah. Done. Yeah. Across the board, on average, I'm not saying individually in every charter school, but on average, from the groups at University of Washington tracking this stuff and other other places, on average, we're better able to put together a nimble virtual program and then reopen their doors, which is the whole point of charter schools. That's you hit the nail. You said it better than I could. I mean, that's the whole point. And and the reality is, is that you know what I've told members of Congress who've asked us, how, how is that possible? You know, we had a 
first year of the pandemic, we had a 7% increase nationally uh, in charter schools um, um, in terms of enrollment. And, 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 and when we looked at each school, people thought, oh, that's because they went virtual. Most of those, 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 those actually, the enrollment increases actually happened in brick and mortar schools. And I think it's to your point, people say, well, why that happened, Ryan? I tell members of Congress, that's the model. Like the model of charter schools is school-based management, school-based decision-making, which is what we keep saying we want our public schools to have. And so there was an example in North Carolina where um, uh, the, the top one of the top schools in the country is in rural North Carolina, and, and it's led by a Latinx uh, uh, charter school leader. He, he, in, in, in January of that year, he said, you know, we keep hearing this thing about COVID. Maybe we ought to get like all of our kids laptops just in case. It might maybe yeah. three or four weeks of like, you know, no school or whatever. All he had to do was go to his board, went to his parents. Had a poll, parents said, yeah, survey, yeah, we should do that. Board said, yes, they moved some things around the budget. Every kid got it. By March, they were black. But 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 schooling went on because his his, his staff and he had prepared. And so they went, they moved to virtual quicker. They moved to hybrid faster. And they came back to face-to-face faster than any other school in that in that area. And 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 that's the nimbleness of it. And then yeah. the federal government brings in dollars to help them recoup what he spent out of his budget. So it worked out. But his decision-making and his ability not to have to go through big bureaucratic structures actually yeah. allowed learning to be, go undisturbed and, and uninterrupted. Yeah. So what are these regulations that the Biden administration has proposed? Because they're not they're not settled yet. And I should say that right now is a public comment period. I don't know most people are jumping on to comment on government regulations, but they're not settled. But what have they proposed? So a couple of things. One is uh, there's something called uh, community impact. Uh, and these are the things that we have an issue with. And so under these rules, the states that apply for funds would have to prove that there's what they call sufficient sufficient demand for charters. And that includes support from the, the local community and evidence that district schools have more students than they can serve. So, so if you have a district that has declining enrollment, for example, which is a trend that's in like most urban districts nationwide. Yeah. <laughs> Name a place that it's not happening. New charters will face a, a tougher time getting approved. And, and, and you know, charter schools weren't created to take off demand because, you know, because there were like, you know, overcrowding in, in district schools. Right. Like parents pick charter schools because in many instances, it's the, it's the last stage, right? It's the last opportunity they have for their kids. You know, most of our, 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 our schools actually take kids you know, we get accused of being cherry picking and creaming, but the reality is that, you know, and data shows this, most of the kids that come to our school are two and three grades behind. It's right. parents who have said, hey, this is my last chance. Please help my child. Right. And so, and so, you know, that, so that's the first thing. And I can talk later about sort of what our issue with Well, it. let me just stop you for a quick second, because St. Louis public schools are bleeding kids to charter schools. They have empty school buildings. They will never pass that community impact test because right. we have empty seats everywhere. And in fact, the uh, school board passed a, a, a meaningless moratorium on charter schools just to say publicly, we're against new charter schools opening, which has nothing to do with the process to open a charter right. school in Missouri. And thankfully, we have a strong public charter school commission who is working hard to place good charter schools in the neighborhoods that need them. But just to say there's an empty seat, if it's a, in a terrible school, you know, we have thousand, we have buildings built for that. We have Charles Sumner High School, which is this famous high school. And um, first high school to serve black students, I think, west of the Mississippi, don't quote me, but this famous high school built yeah. for a thousand students, I think it's got like a hundred students. So 
we have empty seats everywhere and we'll never pass that community impact test. And in fact, the community has said, or parts of it within the traditional public school system have emphatically said, don't let anyone else leave. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Right. Lock all the doors. Don't let anyone else go. Even though yeah. many of our charter schools have waiting lists. Uh, yeah. You can't let anyone else leave. And so that's what's, that's what you're going to get. Like the lowest performing districts are going to be able to shut out any opportunity for families. And, and, and that, and that's, that's, that's the point here, right? And that's that's what's being missed. Like, because you hear our opponents say, "Well, you know, why why are the charter schools fighting these regs? These regs are trying to, you know, trying to go after the billionaires making money off of our with taxpayer dollars of our kids." And I'm going, "But you didn't read the rest of this stuff." Like, okay, let, let's say we'll give you that. We'll give you and say that we need more transparency and accountability with for profit, uh, uh, you know, folks who run. Fine, we'll get that. But what about this other stuff here? You know, there, there was a person from the diverse, the diverse charter schools coalition, Sonia Park, who we both know. Yeah. Um, she pointed out in, in, in an op-ed that she did, uh, you know, that Prospect Schools in Brooklyn, New York, right? It was opened in September of 2020. And Atlas Public Schools in St. Louis, right? Another school yep. Uh, yep. It's local. It, it opened last fall. And both were designed, you know, both designed their schools to reflect the makeup of their communities, right? But because enrollment is declining in their districts, to your point, the schools would have had extreme difficulty in being approved today if those were the federal rules that were around. And these schools are yeah. intentionally trying to be diverse, intentionally trying to, to do the exact things that the Biden administration they want to do in terms of equity in education. Um, and, and so that's what these things would do. The, the other piece of the problem is that is that, uh, you know, the requirement um, with that kind of requirement, it, it, it requires, you know, requiring states to, 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 to have this impact analysis. It really then trumps the process that the state has actually used, right, that they use to look at student demographics of the schools and that kind of thing, um, their own processes. So you're now creating a federal definition, right, right. That's over the state's definitions and local authorizers, not, not state officials, not, not, you know, not, not necessarily even federal officials should be responsible for determining whether there is an adequate demand for a charter school. You know, it, it's the department sending a mixed message because you, you can't say that it's a good thing to listen to communities and families and then and then fairly impose a specific kind of schools, you know, specific kind of schools on communities, uh, right. particularly with taxpayer dollars. Because right. you're, you're not enfranchising some people and disenfranchising a whole set of other people. And that's just un-American. It's not equitable. And if you're a Democrat like I am, it's actually anti-progressive. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Actually, it's actually quite, quite, quite prescriptive, and it actually deprives uh, people of, of really their liberty in terms of you know being able to pick what school is best for their child. Hundred percent. Democrats are working against charter schools, which is something that I'm trying to get my head around a little bit because yeah. uh, the the constituency that has the strongest support for charter school are low income parents and parents of color, right? Yeah. 75, 80, I mean, everybody basically yeah, uh, exactly. such strong support because these are oftentimes the parents that are stuck in the schools that they don't like and um, that have been able to really benefit from the strongest charter schools in the country. And and I don't understand politically because because I'm not very political. You know, what are they getting out of this? What are the teacher the teachers unions? I think have had a rough couple of years through the yeah. pandemic i don't think support has grown and this is where is this where they're trying to make it up i don't i don't really understand it, it we don't either i mean our, our whole thing is you know we don't pin it all on teachers unions you know we we look at we look at the the, the education establishment right the status quo and and that that that, that may have a, a teacher's union component to it but, yeah. but there, there are a bunch of protectors of of a yep. system 
that, and I, and I say this everywhere I go, that is never in, in the 200 plus years of, of the Republic's existence has never proven and shown that they can educate the masses of black people, of Latinx people, of women, of poor whites, of you, you name it across the board. It has never been able to do it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't try to keep pursuing that ultimate goal, right? It, it, but, but at the end of the day, uh, I can't wait 30 years for that eventuality of more money and more whatevers. No, we need to be replicating and expanding uh, uh, outcomes that we know work. Uh, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And if it happens to be a better mouse, is, a better mousetrap is being built by charter schools, then we don't have the luxury of saying, wait until we fix the entire bureaucratic system of, of public education. We, need to, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We need to grab what works and expand and replicate those and do the long haul 50 year, 100 year work of improving the overall system going forward. And, 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 and I, that's what parents are demanding. Like, that's not, yeah. that's not, I'm not, this is not lobbyist Ron Rice of the National Alliance saying this. This is what parents are saying in poll at the poll at the poll at the poll for literally the last 10 years that I know of. What this has been quite clear. Um, I think that the problem is going to come, Susan, is, is and I think that has to, there'll be a day of reckoning, is when the parents of our kids, and, and those kids become 18 and their uncles and their aunts finally wake up and say, I'm going to be a single issue voter and I'm yeah. going to decide whether I'm going to push the lever for a Democrat or a Republican based on your what you do with charter schools. I think that's when you will see some movement, because right now we've not activated our folks to do that because we just haven't done that. But there's coming a day where we have to start saying the Democrats particularly Democrats who, when they're in power, hey, you need to understand, uh, we respect teachers, we respect teachers' unions, but but they're not the only voice at the table, they're not the only people that have to have their concerns addressed, we do too, and there'll be prices to pay at the ballot box if you don't listen to us. I mean, we're getting closer. I think we're getting closer to education moving out of being kitchen table type uh, policy to, to being actually something that can move. And finally, I think candidates have realized that parents vote like, I think everyone like Virginia's governor, but yeah, parents showed up and vote. I have said for a long, long time, don't get on the wrong side of parents because they show up and they vote. And what they're voting for, in my opinion, is their own kids' education and well-being, That's not right. what is on the outside of the school. If it says charter school, public school, whatever it says, they're whatever talking about their own kid and it becomes super personalized. And it's like, my own kid has been put on a shelf for a year and given a laptop with no instruction. And I don't like it. You know, I, we now know that in Missouri anyway, and I'm sure that that's consistent, the most disadvantaged kids were almost all hundred percent virtual and the hundred percent virtual test scores are, 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 uh, disturbing to say the least, like below basic, mostly below basic. It didn't work. It did not work in our, in our urban districts. And I just happened to be today for reasons that, you know, of new projects I'm working on, looking at the St. Louis Public Schools um, annual financial report and their balance sheet, their income statement, which, you know, they're insolvent. They have negative numbers, they have negative uh, assets. They have massive pension liabilities. They have all these buildings that, you know, they're struggling to close. They have declining enrollment. The city has declining population. It is tough. It is really difficult. They spend it. Anyway, they spent a lot on like transportation and some things that I'm, I'm still looking into and uh, contracted out transportation and stuff like that. But yeah. I know it's a really difficult thing. And I not, I'm not saying that they're not trying, but let kids out, 
You know what I mean? Like why you're trying to fix this Titanic that's kind of going down. That's right. Let kids out. That's right. And 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 listen and listen to them. I mean, to, to your point about about locking kids in, locking families in, you know, that goes like like, the, like to the second issue we have with these regs that these regs are trying to do, right? And I, I call it district collaboration mandate and district school approval required, right? So so one of the priorities for the department in these regs also is that districts and charter school operators have to work together on issues such as joint teacher training and transportation. Right. We, we we support that like that's sure. great. <clears throat> but I don't you know about the have to, but right, but right, it shouldn't be mandated. But but okay, okay, you wanna you wanna you wanna massage it to make that happen. I don't think any of us would would, would say no. We we should be trying to save money, um, and uh, you know by by joining together with both public schools. But but here's 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 the wrinkle in it though. Now it's imposing though that one district school would have to provide a letter in support of working with the charter. Come so on. so so I was on Roland Martin uh, uh, show the other day, and he pointed to a, 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 a guy who runs a school in D.C. called uh, Statesman. Uh, it runs an incredible school. It was created uh, with black boy, for, with black boys in mind, uh, particularly in D.C. and 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 we call Ward Eight, Ward Seven, the kids who need the most. And before uh, before the, the 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 person who runs the school started the school, he went to the community and said, "What kind of school do you want?" I don't have, I have preconceived notions, but what do you want in the school? What do you want in your teachers? What do you want in the curriculum? What do you want? And he built and designed his school based on community input, right? And Roland pointed out, well, that school, you know, has got kids at this level, but the, but the district school down the street from it, they, you know, they couldn't educate anybody. I said, here's the problem with the Reds, Roland. The Reds will require him to go to that failing school down the street to get permission for his yeah. school to be set up in the first place. Yeah. The, you, do you think that would ever happen in any kind of real world? You know doggone well that if you leave it only to the district schools who see charter schools as competition, particularly if they're high quality, particularly sure. if they're high, 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 high performing, they will always say no. They'll manufacture a reason, but they will yeah. always say no. And so if, if you, McDonald's had to ask Burger King's permission to open the, <laughs> they're going to say, you know, I think we've got the neighborhood handled. We don't need you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And to your point about there being public schools, real quick, the president said they weren't public schools. How long? 30 years now. 1992, the first charter school opened in Minnesota, 30 years ago. And we still have people at the very top yeah. implying that they're not public schools. And I can't fight that battle. I mean, I feel like I've been fighting that for so long. Public school it, students, public school teachers, public school everything, public school funding, 100% public. I, I I don't get it. And I tell people all the time, but 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 here's the thing. Both public schools, you're right, but who get less money per pupil, who yep. get no access to facilities, right? right? We have to take kids who are two and three grades behind, right? Uh, we don't get to throw kids out, on, you know, like people think, and we can just get to, you know, this, 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 this we don't, we're not going to take such and such. Like, no, we have to take every child um, uh, and, 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 and yeah, and then take the same tests, like, like I, I don't know what else like makes the feature different. But you, go, you have a time limit right. to prove success or you close. I mean, Missouri's got schools have been open for decades with single digit rates of proficiency. Like, can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. And 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 and, and that's 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 the that's the crime here. The, the, the reality is 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 actually sad and ridiculous because and I always go back to this. The loudest voices I hear about this, I know where they send their own children to school. Oh yeah, I know what communities they live in. 
They wouldn't walk. They would. They they wouldn't be called dead in the community I grew up in, which is North. <laughs> they they wouldn't be called dead in those schools. And 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 I used to I used to fight opponents against charter schools in Newark, who I knew were trying to quietly behind the scenes ask me, Ron, can you get me in that charter school? And I go, you apply like everybody else. I can't do a fair. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so we're we're we're, we're it's actually a show, and it's it's an embarrassing show show because and it would be laughable if if the consequences were not so dire that we yeah. need to break generational poverty. We need to break we need to break generational. Uh, uh, lack of access to 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 education that can pull people out of poverty, and, yeah. and we have people who give lip service to it, and will actually look an example of that actually happening in front of them and say no to that. Then that yeah. that that makes me question your real commitment to it, or you committed to systems more than you committed to actually uh, uh, the kids and the family that they serve. So let's get to this last part. Um, this is such an easy thing to get people riled up about is for-profit charter schools, which I want to just say for the record, uh, many public schools, I I don't, I don't, I I feel like I can say most Cisco Mm -hmm. comes and does the lunches and uh, Pearson provides the textbooks and uh, uh, you know, a company provides cleaning materials and a company provides like for-profit companies throughout public education. And in fact, the other day I did a podcast with a guy on this federal healthcare program for low-income people where you get a low uh, pharmaceutical program for low-cost drugs for low-income people. And uh, it's it's a disastrous mess. Most of the money's not going to low-income people. And they invited in the CVS and Rite Aids and Walgreens to to the program and they're profiting off of it for profit companies. But for some reason in public education, people really clutch their pearls or get on a high horse about for profit charter schools. So the regulations would what uh, just regulate them more. So, so the proposal will require these schools to, to that receive grant funds to pledge that they won't contract with a for profit organization uh, to assume most of all the operation, most, all of the operations of the school um, and grantees would have to also make those agreements public. Now, I, I don't think anyone has a problem with those of agreements course. being public, but, but the, the term, and again, this is the, this is where we're playing loose and fast with, with the terminology, assume most or all the operations. Now, I, 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 and I reject that, you know, so I'm radical and you know that. Susan. So <laughs> I reject the whole term for profit um, because my whole thing is, you know, I don't know anybody who has started charter school and, and called it for profit who could then say, yeah, you know, I was uh, making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, but I started a charter school. And now I'm rich. Like That's I, right. I, you know, I've heard the boss. Well, I make a lot of money going to education. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what millionaire made $10 million, started doing charter school now, and that is now worth $20 million. You know, we put to Betsy DeVos and I have issues with Betsy DeVos like everybody else. But how did she become rich off of charter schools? She didn't. Like, it doesn't make any sense. No one becomes rich off of charter schools. However, what is completely legal, what is completely not looked at, are groups like you mentioned, Peters Pearson and other folks who have had contracts with districts to provide all kinds of for-profit and private services. Um, how do they get those contracts? We know they're supposed to be bidded upon and it's supposed to be, you know, uh, equitable and, and fair, you know, and, and was it the least, you know, the most responsible, at least costly procedure. Yeah. We also know these people contribute mightily to school board candidates. Absolutely. They contribute to 
to to to state elected officials and whatnot. So so how why are we why are we looking at the small slither of for profits or, or what I call CMOs, right? That are less than ten percent of all charter schools across the country. Most states ban them. And, and, Missouri banned. Right. They they regulate them fairly well, right? Uh, why are we going after them? But we have we have records. I know in Newark, the people who did the food services in Newark, yeah, they were a bidded contract, but they also gave money locally to elected candidates, and they've had that contract for years. Whereas small businesses, local uh, firms, uh, particularly minority-led uh, 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 firms, couldn't even couldn't even bid for these contracts because they didn't have, they didn't have the capacity. The wonderful thing about charter schools is that they do contract with with private entities. Because they need as well, they, as well they should. Well, you can't get buses. There's no nonprofit company that's actually selling buses or, or, or that you can lease with. Who does accounting in the nonprofit sector? Who does who does systems and 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 computer systems and, and curriculums? No one does that. So so all schools contract. I, I say, you know, district schools contract uh, every day and twice on Sundays with private yeah. groups, right, and private organizations because they have to. But, but the other piece is this, is that no one looks at the millions upon millions and hundreds of millions of dollars that these private vendors make off of districts and they've been doing it for 50, 70, 100 years Absolutely. of business and they get the same contracts every single year with these same big urban urban, urban districts. So why are we not looking at that? in terms? Because that's that's the where the most public dollars are going, but, but, but that's the issue here. And so I don't think anybody has a problem, but what is substantial? What, what, what is substantial? Is it 60%? Is it 50%? Is it 40%? Yeah. If, if it's the same percentage as the district school, um, is, 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 that, is that the comparison of, of private services? So it, it's broad, it's casting a net, and because of that, it seems rhetorical. It doesn't seem based in any kind of reality right. of the circulation, and that's, that's why we question the regs. It's not that you know charter schools don't want any kind of accountability or oversight, We've been telling the, the the federal government to let's go through the regs of CSP for years. You know that's been Christy Wolf, our policy VP, has been saying that for years. Let's reopen it and let's and let's and let's really get into it. This is not that, and, and how we know it's not that. Not to not to take over the the, the conversation, but it's the Please. process. You're the but guest. <laughs> we know we know it's disingenuous because of the process. The process yeah. gave us 30 days to respond to something that is unprecedented in terms of, of, of the depth and width of, 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 of regulation that they're trying to impose on it. And they're doing it right before the competition is set to go out, which happens every spring. And so to put these the competition on- means that if uh, if you have if you're in a state, you want to open a bunch more charter schools, you put in an application to get money out of this program. That is correct. And so and some in- high performing networks like KIPP, they could put in an application. Exactly. Because these things are so onerous, so new, you don't know what to do or how to answer them. So, you know, what you say, I'm not going to apply this year. I wait till next year. Some of the stuff gets worked out. But then guess what happens next year as a snowball effect? If no one applies, then people say, well, we can cut the program because nobody's yeah. applying for the program. See, so yeah. you're cutting it without actually cutting it. You're just saying you're, you're, you're obfuscating the demand up for it so that next year you can use that as evidence and proof. That you should cut the program because nobody's applying for it. There's no real desire, there's no need for it. Even as we have data that shows waiting lists are ballooning, growing faster oh, yeah. than ever before. So it's nefarious, at least in its optics. I'm not trying to. to and, talk about- and, and just to be clear, what this program does is if you're thinking about char- starting a charter school and you put together your application, uh, potentially you could get some money to work on that. But for the most part, when you have an approved application, 
before you can open your doors. Last I checked, if you want to open up a school, you're going to have to hire a building, you're going to have to hire a principal, you're going to have to hire teachers, you have to buy some lockers, some desks, some books. You don't just, you know, submit your enrollment for September 1st and then the state pays you a month later and that's what you back pay all your bill. Like it just, we tried that in the very beginning of charter schools. We're like, oh, we'll just be plucky and get a church to donate a basement and people (laughs) to donate their time and the parents will paint the walls and all of that. And that's not, first of all, fair to charter school students and parents who choose them. And also it's, it's, well, mostly it's just not fair and it's extremely hard to do and may turn people away. So now just like sort of like the small business association administration, I mean, you can apply for a, essentially a startup grant and they're how much? A couple hundred thousand. That's right. Yeah. And you can hire that principal who can be doing the planning. You can put together your board and you might have a year to get the pieces in place so that when students show up, you're ready to go and you're not, you know, giving them half an education. And that's right. what this program does. Exactly. And the thing that really slays me and has for a long time are the groups who say it's a failed program because a bunch of schools that got it got that seed money closed. Closed, right. What say you to that? I don't want to talk about it because well, I'm tired of saying this extremely obvious point. Well, the, the, the whole fact of the matter is, is like, that's the point, right? That's I mean, the it's, point. It's that, it's that bad schools will close. That, yep. that, that even good intentioned people who want to start a great school, if it's not educating kids, should close. That's that's, that's right. that that means it works. That means that means authorizing works. That means that that the feds, uh, 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 you know, guidelines and and uh, of the regs uh, of of the CSP dollars that are given out. That means it works. That means oversight works. That means transparency works. That means accountability works. But here's the other piece to this: we don't do we 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 don't say a school has gotten Title One dollars for sixty years. <laughs> proficiency rates among African-American boys for the last 40. So therefore, we should stop funding Title I dollars to that school because obviously it's, it's a waste of money. It's a, it's so a Title I being the federal program that sends money to schools that serve higher proportions of low-income students. I'm actually, I'm not a huge fan of that program, but theoretically sends money to, um, to equalize resources for low-income students. Again, the way that money has gotten spent since 1965 the trillions um, has not been shown to be super effective. But what you're saying is take that money away because a lot of the schools it goes to, they get nowhere. Well, by, by their logic, that's waste, right? That's if, if you use the same logic and say that CSP dollars went to schools and the overwhelming amount of them stayed open and, and are doing well, right? That's and, right. But you have, you have a fraction of them. I don't know what the percentage is, even if it's 20%. Let's say, let's say this, I'll go high and say 20% of them close, all right? 20% of them close. Do, and we say that then that means the CSP wasted money and that's a failure. Well, let's look at Title I funding. Let's look at IDEA funding for schools where you're supposed to do these kind of things, but kids are still at this level and say, well, that's a waste because those kids are not meeting. They're not they're not they're not graduating on time. They're that's not right. meeting. Uh, they're not getting testing at certain levels. They're not. They're not. So so that would be ludicrous. Title I was to close the gaps and no gaps have closed. Gaps have widened. Gaps exactly. between low income and non low income. Right, but but nobody would put out a study and say they wasted trillions of dollars in, on these kids. You, 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 you'd yeah. be laughed at and be ridiculed. So so it's the same. It's the same argument that that is that is laughable and ludicrous to make that kind of that kind of argument. But it again goes to the desperation because what I would tell people is is that every at one time we used to they, they used to get away with the argument and said 
well, the results, you know, with district output and, 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 and mixed and whatnot, the last eight years, anybody who's being honest about this and look at the data and the research that have not come from charter school people, not come from our, our opponents, but come from nonpartisan third party folks from Harvard to Mathematica to anybody else has made it perfectly clear. It is not even debatable anymore how the outcomes and outputs of charter schools are doing vis-a-vis -vis competitively and proportionally to traditional district schools. So we need okay. to get out of that thought and start talking about how do we how do we get the outcomes that are coming out? How do we replicate, expand them at a mass level? And I will just add this, the federal program that they're trying to, that the prescription they're trying to do to actually sit on the, the creation of more, of more charter schools is actually going against what's happening in the real world. People yep. like Bloomberg are investing with UNCF to invest in, 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 in USFC overseeing $10 million to oversee HBCUs starting charter schools. And they're not doing that because there's not an interest amongst uh, HBCUs to not start charter schools. They're not doing that because African-Americans do not not want charter schools. They're doing it because there's a demand, there's a need to do that. When HBCUs can get private dollars to start charter schools, that's pipeline right to their to their universities. That means yeah. that those kids that will be going to those universities will be prepared for college when they get there, which means they'll spend less time in those institutions. They don't need five and six years getting remedial help. They'll be they'll be there in four years. That means they'll save money in the loans and grants that they have to get in order to be in school. That means that those schools can hire more talented professors to teach and not remedial uh, professors. They can really, really branch out. And, yeah. and, and you're creating a pipeline of people who will now become teachers learn at these schools and maybe go back and start the charter school in your network. That's what that's the ecosystem of, of improving education. That's right. The very institutions in our community doing more of that in ways they can't do with traditional district schools. So that's right. When they when that $10 million goes and those schools start to create more schools, they're going to need federal investment. They're going to need the CSP if Virginia right. State starts one or if Lincoln and Missouri University starts a, a starts one. They're going yeah. to need SP dollars. And at that time that you're crippling them, you're now going to be crippling black institutions who are going to want to start charter schools. And I want to say that other people, that the people who, 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 who get the most out of CSP dollars are leaders of color who yeah. depend on those dollars because they don't have access to philanthropy or foundational dollars. Teachers who are black and brown uh, and Native American and Asian who want to start charter schools, who are teachers and community leaders, they need the CSP to be able to start those kind of schools because they don't have any other way to pay for it. And there's just example after example after example of those schools. Exactly. So there's so many. It's and so if they charge tuition, it wouldn't work. It, 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 it would not work. It would not work. And I, I say that a lot. Like one of the, to me, one of the big benefits of the charter school sector is it gives teachers, strong teachers, a chance to uh, be entrepreneurs. And a lot of charter schools end up getting started by teachers. In traditional public school, certainly some of our best, like the KIPS, those was started by yeah. two teachers. Mm -hmm. um, and it gives them a chance to take, you know, we lose a lot of our best teachers because it's not the most uh, fulfilling profession. Right. In my opinion, the pay scale situation is like, you can be great, you get paid the same as somebody who's not very good. So a lot of the people that I know, younger people who are really enthusiastic and were great teachers left because they could make more, you know, doing something else. But if they have a chance to be entrepreneurial and to start a school and put what they know into practice, and we've seen that happen over and over and over, that's where some of our best charter schools come from. And that was the original idea when it was proposed in 1990 by the head of the teachers union was give teachers a chance to innovate and, and give them a certain amount of time. And if it doesn't work, 
it didn't work and you move on. But to lose that, I believe what I have seen and what I did a bunch of research on uh, back when I was at the National Alliance is the sector at the sector level is in a state of continuous improvement. As you continue to close the bad schools, you learn more and you open schools. And we now know, thanks to Stanford University, start strong, stay strong. If you start stronger schools and you continue to clean up the bottom, I I think there was a time when Texas authorized hundreds of schools in one year. And then they realized probably shouldn't have authorized so many in one year. Exactly. A bunch of them weren't very good and they had to close. And now they've kind of cleaned up their system of charter schools and you just get a stronger and stronger and stronger network. And that has happened in St. Louis. Our weakest ones have closed and That's they right. should have closed. They, and should in Kansas have closed. City, they should have. And we have some amazing charter schools, yes. you know, in Kansas City, University Academy, 100% college. Go- I mean, it's just amazing what they have done in some of the charter schools in St. Louis and Kansas City. And you would think that they would want to replicate and get as many kids into that kind of a program as possible. Yeah. But instead we have a moratorium against, against opening them. And that's, that's heartbreaking. The schools that some of these kids are stuck in. And again, in a system, that's the opposite of that in a system that's kind of crumbling. Yeah. And I have a kindergartner. I don't want them starting their K-12 career in a sinking ship. That's kind of crumbling and having people say, but believe in us and give us more money and we'll make it work. And it's like, make it work with someone else's kid, mine, (laughs) you know, that's that's exactly it. And and, and the saddest part about it is that, is that, you know, for for those kids who have parents who can advocate, you know, they, they, they can, they can have those choices. We have too many that can't. And so they're stuck and, 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 and they're stuck with the rhetoric and they're stuck with the promises that that you know what we know is that no matter how much money you put into a bad system, you're still going to get bad outputs. That's scale right. what works, scale what we know is 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 working, and and allow that to grow. If you actually care about kids, you mentioned about about the you know the future of 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 of, of charter schools. I, I I joke with Kip, and they, they get mad sometimes. I go, you know, the, the best CMO uh, is yet to be born. Like, okay. like the best the best CMO is yet to even is is, is a student right now, and and probably in a charter school going. You know, if I ran a school, I'd do it this way. That's right. I, you know, I, I, I'm in a fraternity that has an overabundance of educators. And, and in fact, Manuel Cleaver uh, is a member of my fraternity. Um, I'm an alpha. And whenever I talk to young uh, brothers of mine in the fraternity who are in the school of education, they're not going to school of education because they want to teach. They're going because they want to create something that's never been seen before. That's they right. Want they want to create a program that, that, that they, you know, they want to teach at a level that's never been taught before. And that comes from their own personal examples and histories like this is what i didn't get so i'm going to school to get my my degree and, and be an educator because i want to not just teach in a classroom i want to transform the school and create a school that there wasn't like the school that i had to struggle through and, and I that's think part of your why too right was that that's part of your why too right that's, that's exactly my why my my, my why is in the, why i'm in this space is because you know i had a public school teacher who when i tested you know two grades above where i was went to my mom and she was a traditional district school, public school teacher who said, get him out of here. There's <laughs> nothing we can do. And I'm not saying that's the reality for everyone, but that certainly was a public school teacher, you know, who said to me, who said to my mother, we can't do anything for him. Now, I'm glad she gave my mother that, but I worry about what about the other kids who I had to leave behind who didn't get that, who didn't get that heads up. That, that, that were just kind of going along to, to, to get along, to perpetuate a system that she as a teacher acknowledged to my mother was not working in the best interest of me. And that was 40 years ago. And, yeah. and for many of our kids, that is still, that is still the, the story. 
And the same arguments that they said, elected officials said to my mom 40 years ago about we're putting more money in the school system, we're doing X, Y, and Z. It's the same thing we're saying 40 years. And so now that's two generations that have gone through, right, these same schools. And, and the only thing that made my school better, and I will say it out loud in Newark, Alexander Street School, was when it became a charter school. And it, yeah. was, and it was promoted and premiered on To The Day Show. And I was very proud of that fact because they turned that school around. And it's in the same neighborhood that, that I grew up in. And it literally was a school that that teacher told me to get, that told my mom. Get out. <laughs> and it, 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 it came full circle. It came full circle. And I tell people, awesome. is that anything magical? There's nothing mystical, magical about charter schools. They're not yeah. inherently better because it's something that I, I put a charter school name on it. It's because of the model. It's because of the governance structure. It's, it's because of, of how close they are to be able to make the kind of changes. It's, it's, it's the deal, the transaction, right? That for less regulation, for less, for less oversight, for less these kind of things, we're going to allow you to be more innovative. But the, 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 but the, but the devil's bargain is if you're not able to do it, we will shut you down. That's, that's right. That, 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 that's, that's the most accountable that you can have in a public education. I don't know anything that's more accountable than that. Uh, in the public yeah. education, period. I, I think it's fantastic when bad schools close. Same here. Get Same the kids here. out. I'm That's the first one. I'm the first one that in Newark when I was a counselor, I was the first one. Parents would cry. You know, my kid is safe here. My kid feels good. I was like, yeah, but they're miseducating your kid. Just like that school down the street was miseducating your kid. Let us get more schools in this community that actually work so that your kid never, this never happens to your child again. But it's the same thing. A bad closing school is no worse a closing public charter school is no worse than a school is not worse. It's actually it's actually not as 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 bad as a as a district school that has been open for for 100 years and has miseducated kids for that long. The, 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 the charter school was five, five years and it, and it failed. 100 years to five years and, and generational failure is, is, is not even comparable. That's right. So if anyone is listening to this and they wanted to do something about this charter school program, what could they do? I mean, it's kind of hard to get in there and put in comments on regs, but it's tough because yeah, the comment period ends on 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 the on Monday, but on they Monday. Mm-hmm. com and, and 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 put that in and 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 they can submit a, a a letter. I would I would I would raise the issue with your federal elected official, your congressperson, your senator. Let them know. I'm pleased to say that, uh, you know, there, there's going to be a bipartisan um, uh, letter amongst amongst uh, U.S. senators uh, about these regs, opposing them. We have a number of Congress people who are writing to the Department of Education, particularly to Secretary Cardona, uh, to express their opposition to these things. Again, bipartisan, Democrats and Republicans, because I think a lot of them see through this and, and they see through sort of what's being purported to these things are, are, are to do. And, and some people are actually reading the regs uh, and not just taking people's word for them. And so there's Good. a lot of concern. And so I would say reach out to your elected official, your federal elected official, your congressperson, your senator, and tell them to, to, to raise concerns with the Department of Education, either do a letter to, to Secretary Cardona directly or request a meeting with uh, members uh, of, of the U.S. Department of Education um, and staffers uh, to express their concerns. Uh, the more pressure, you know, I would say pressure bursts pipes. The more pressure we can <laughs> bear on people, our hope is that they will they will they will disregard these things after the comment period and 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 give a year and then and then most importantly invite charter school people at the beginning of the process because we agree with a lot of the goals of the regs. It's just how you plan on doing it. 
you can't reform charter schools without bringing charter schools into the, to the beginning of the discussion and the debate, not after the fact these things are obviously going public. And so- Unless you're trying to kill them. Unless you're trying to kill them. We want to be partners. We've been honestly seeking to be partners with this administration and with others about charter schools um, because they would like the ideas that we have and it yeah. will move the ball down the line, but you have to engage with us. And with 3.6 million kids in our schools and over 7,600 schools across the country and over now 44 states, uh, you will engage with us um, right. and, and we will not be silent and, and go and go quietly and softly into that sweet night. We're not. You're not going to. That's a fact. That's a fact. And there are a lot more, <laughs> well, thank a lot you. more with me as well. <laughs> uh, thanks, Ron. So great to talk to you again. I appreciate it. Um, thanks for just raising the issue. I mean, it's it's we're talking about it in Missouri. So, yeah, you know, but I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Opportunity.